Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Well, we're going, we don't need Rose. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. No, I am your father. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to another episode of After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we are delighted tonight to be joined by a very special guest co-host, one Mr. Chad Michael Collins. Now, Chad is an actor you might recognize from a lot of projects, including the Sniper movies. Uh, Chad, why don't you uh, say hello and, and tell people a little bit about you know where they've seen you before. Hey, everyone. Uh, happy to be here with you guys. Mike, Phil. Um, yeah, I've been kicking around Hollywood for a little bit here. I've got a, uh, a franchise for Sony I do called uh, Sniper, which is a um, kind of reboot of the original Tom Berenger, Billy Zane movie from 1993. I played the son of Tom Berenger and the kind of the new kid on the block, the new sniper on the block, as it were. Um, and I've got a, 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 the latest installment of that, Sniper Ghost Shooter, coming out August Second, uh, but you know, audiences may have seen me pop up in NCIS and NCIS New Orleans, Once Upon a Time, um, all sorts of stuff like this. I'll be I'll be doing a show, a new show on Hulu this fall called Freakish, um, and that that is about that's my summary. That sounds good. Well, we are super excited to have you on the show, Chad. So uh, for those of you listening, Chad's going to kind of join in, give us some commentary, and uh, then we're going to have a little chat with him about his new film and some other projects. So why don't we uh, why don't we get into things? Phil, we kept our movies a secret last week, so why don't you go ahead and reveal what movies we're going to be talking about today? I am glad you asked. We will be doing... Okay, we'll, we'll be uh, doing giving after the endings to the Tom Hanks film Big. But first, we will be beginning with uh, M. Night Shyamalan's The Sixth Sense, back when he made reasonably good films. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, so why don't we uh, why don't we start off with the Sixth Sense? Chad, are you a, are you a fan of the Sixth Sense? How do you how do you feel about that movie? You no, know, it's been a minute, but I I do remember really loving that movie, enjoying that movie. You know, I mean, I grew up with Bruce Willis, man. So anything that guy's in, I'll I'll, I'll be first in line. So um, I'm I'm pretty familiar, and I think I can hang with you guys. All right, good stuff. That sounds good. Okay, I'll just go uh, do a quick roundup of the film. What's going on? Uh, we have Dr. Malcolm Crowe, played by Bruce Willis. He's a child psychologist. He's been out for a lovely night with his wife, Anna, played by Olivia Williams, where he's been honoured by his peers. Uh, they are interrupted by a person called Vincent Gray, a former patient. Gray accuses Crowe of failing him and then shoots Crowe. We then fast forward a year where Crowe begins working with nine-year-old Cole Sear, played by Haley Joel Osment, who, like Gray, suffers with hallucinations. Since the shooting, Crowe and his wife have become distant and don't talk anymore. Crow thinks that if he helps Cole, he'll make up for letting down Gray and also work things out with his wife. Cole ends up telling uh, Crow that he sees dead people. And they walk around, but the but the dead people walk around not knowing that they are dead. Uh, listening to all tapes of Vincent Gray, Crow thinks that Gray may have had the same ability. Crow tells Cole that he should try helping the spirits, but Cole is scared of the ghosts, but he, uh, he decides to man up and uh, helps them as best he can. Doing this helps Cole get, get on in school, he becomes a bit more popular and ends up starring in the school play. Cole tells Crow should speak with Anna, his wife, when she is asleep, 
and he does so. Cole also finally tells his mother about his ability. Uh, Crow goes home to find his wife asleep. She's been watching the wedding video. Anna, while still asleep, asks, why did you leave me? And at that point, Crow realises he died in the shooting. And he tells her he loves her. And his unfinished business is complete. And he is free to move on. And that's the sixth sense. Very nicely done, Phil. Now, uh, now, Chad, do you remember your reaction when you first saw the film to that ending, that twist ending? Uh, I do remember. And, um, you know, I guess call it lack of, you know, critical movie going viewing. I had no idea that he was dead. And that was the big twist. And that was the big reveal. And right. I remember that being a huge, and, and like you said before, and that was typical M. Night Shyamalan. He would just not reveal too much and he wouldn't hit you over the head with anything. And then when the reveal finally came, you're like, oh. Yeah, yeah, that was. A, I remember it as well, and I was. I think I've told the story of the podcast before, but I was. I was floored by it because I didn't. I didn't see it coming, and you know, the internet didn't ruin everything back then. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Back when things were a bit more innocent. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we do our endings then, Phil? You want me to kick things off? Yeah, you give us your day after. All right, here we go. So Malcolm decides that his time has come and he can leave the Earth, so he ascends up to the next plane of existence. Meanwhile, Cole and his mom have a long talk, and he tells her everything that's happened, from when he first started seeing dead people to his experiences with Dr. Crow. With a new understanding of her son, Lynn feels a huge weight lifted off her shoulders. Cole and his mom decide to try and find a way for Cole to block out the dead people. Not permanently, just at times like, you know, when he's at school so he can concentrate and not always be pestered by ghosts. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the afterlife, Dr. Crow feels himself getting strangely restless. And that's where we're going to leave it for now. Okay, interesting. So what do you, uh, thank you. What do you got, Phil? Okay, for my day after, I've got Crow goes to the light. Once the light clears, he finds himself in what appears to be a waiting room. Confused, he goes to the receptionist who tells him to take a number and wait as caseworker. Dumbfounded, he takes a number, which is a very large number with lots of zeros, and finds a seat. Uh, the man next to him smiles and introduces himself. Hi, I'm Sam Wheat, he says. He then tells Crow it'll be okay and introduces him to some of the others sitting there. There's a, a very proper woman called Grace Stewart. Uh, he thinks there's a Japanese girl there, but her face is covered with hair. Her name's Sadeko, uh, and she's moaning a lot about the state of her well. There's a kid who's very friendly called Casper, and there's some weird <laughs> twins who just stand there looking at everybody. Uh -huh. <laughs> Twi are the, the, oh, those I, be the twins that say a red rum? Yeah, they might be, yeah. They yeah. Might be, and yeah. There's, there's also uh, a kid who says he was never actually in Three Men and a Baby. And then finally, <laughs> there's Annabelle who says she's fed up with being stuck in that stupid doll. Nice. Crow, Crow feels a bit sick. Uh, meanwhile, Cole and his mum are in a much better place, as his mum now knows what Cole sees, and a little freaked out at first, she comes to terms with it. Cole, knowing that it was a true gift and he can help people, is so much happier, and he starts making friends. Very nice. Well, I just, I just wanted to tell you, Chad, as, as you might have seen, we sometimes uh, like to tie things into other movies in our endings. Well, that would actually, uh, uh, the, the ghost reference was exactly where I would have been going put on the spot for the next day. Bruce Willis and Patrick Swayze are just hanging out. That's right. Yes. Well, it's, it's in your face, Mike. The guest star agrees with me. <laughs> well, it's Happy. funny that you say that, as a matter of fact, because one of the other things about our show is sometimes Phil and I tend to go in, in similar directions. So allow me to present my immediate aftermath, if you will. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because by the way, we don't know what the other one's done. At the right, time, yeah. right. We don't yeah. compare notes. Gotcha. Here we go. Cole and his mom go in search of someone to help him, and they come across 
Oda Mae Brown, who looks an awful lot like Whoopi Goldberg, <laughs> a psychic who recently helped reunite a ghost by the name of Sam with his true love, Molly. So there you go, Phil. <clears throat> oh, right back out, man. Our guest co-host apparently agrees with both of us. So see that? Chad, we're fighting over you already. It's terrible. There you go. Oh, guys. <laughs> guys, everyone relax. <laughs> so Oda Mae agrees to help train Cole using the techniques she's developed to block out the ghosts when he doesn't want to be disturbed. Cole still wants to help dead people, but he wants to do it on his schedule, not theirs. Meanwhile, Dr. Crow feels a disturbance in the afterlife and realizes that a paranormal cataclysm is coming. He returns to the real world and reaches out to Cole once again, telling him that he needs his help finding other ghosts that can help him. And that's where we'll leave it for now. Oh, okay. Yeah, how about Somebody, you, Phil? Sounds like a team-up on the, in the works. Could be, could be. Okay, yep, my immediate aftermath. Uh, Dr. Crow sits and waits. Spirits come and go. And when they find out he's a psychologist, they start talking to him about their problems. Sadako talks about her murder and being stuck in the well. Sam and Grace talk about missing their loved ones. And a few people have similar stories about the time they stayed when they stayed in the Overlook Hotel. Cole keeps helping ghosts. He doesn't go looking for them, but whenever he meets them, he talks to them as best he can and tries to help with their problems. Realising he does not have the knowledge he needs, because he's still quite young, and remembering how Crow helped him, Cole begins to study psychology. At first he reads books on the subject, but works hard and finds out what he needs to study and goes to college. And that's the end of my immediate aftermath. All right, very good. So as you can see, we sometimes our timelines jump ahead. Sometimes they, you know, stay real close. We we play around with things a bit. I see. All right, well, why don't we wrap it up with our long terms then, Phil? Okay, you going? So Cole sets out to help Dr. Crow. Using the techniques that Otome taught him, he's now able to attune his senses so that he can reach out through the paranormal world and search for all ghosts, not just ones with unfinished business. Cole and Crow put together a paranormal super team consisting of Crow... General Patton, Harry Houdini, Joan of Arc, Albert Einstein, Lee Marvin, Florence Nightingale, and John Lennon, just because he's a huge Beatles fan. <laughs> um, uh, in the cool, paranormal... Cool getting Lee Marvin as well, I like that. Well, because Lee Marvin kind of kicks ass, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, if you does, want a yeah. tough guy, like Lee Marvin's as tough as they come. Yeah. In the paranormal realm, they realize that the big bad guy is Gozer the Gozerian, who has recently (laughs) been defeated on Earth by a team of so-called ghost busters and is now intent on taking over the afterlife. Crow and his team gear up for battle and head off to try and save the world, or at least the world of the dead. And that's my ending. Oh, very good. I like it. Thank you. Thank you. Nice big team up. Okay, for my long term, uh, Crow has lost count of the spirits he has helped while waiting, but he feels incredibly satisfied that he has done so much. He has talked to the residents of uh, Hill House, 112 Ocean Avenue, Amateurville, <laughs> and lots more, and has told them all to stop scaring people as that just keeps the cycle going. He's eventually taken in to see his caseworker. She apologises for the delay but said it was to show how he can help others and offers him a job. He takes it and is given his first case file, a chap by the name of Beetlejuice. <laughs> Cole, meanwhile, goes to college and becomes a psychologist, quite successfully as clients both living and dead. He's heard from the dead that Crow is also doing the same thing on the other side and Cole often refers them to Crow for follow-up sessions once they have finished up on Earth. Crow also acts as a consultant for the newly formed Ghostbusters and together with them he comes up with a more humane way of helping some of the more violent spirits. Now he looks forward to meeting his next client, a man by the name of John Constantine. That's that's it. I like it. Thank you very much. So so Chad, if you're putting together a a super team of ghosts, who who would you put on your team, do you think? A super team of ghosts? I mean, look, Bruce Bruce Willis and Patrick Swayze are a pretty good start. That's I, true. I mean, really, I don't know how much better it gets than that. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, you got John McClane and you got, uh, what's his name from Roadhouse? So you pretty much can kick everyone's butt, right? 
seriously. And huh, on the spot, any other ghosts to come in and play? I mean, you got to have you know the wacky comic relief part of the team, right? So you got to get Slimer in there. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I like it. Uh, I I do like I like Beetlejuice a lot. You got you know like A Team Murdoch was he was a bit of the wild card. Uh, so you got to have a Beetlejuice. Right, in right. There, uh, just throwing a little chaos all around. <laughs> That'd be a good start, I think. I'd watch you definitely. All right, so Phil, what do you have for uh, for trivia there for the success? Yeah, just a just a quick one. Uh, the, just the fact the whole film was filmed in sequence, really, which is uh, quite quite okay. rare these days. Oh, my kingdom to work on a project shot in sequence. <laughs> have you? Yeah, I was about to ask you, Chad. You've never you've never done something like that. <laughs> I, I, you know what? Those those production schedules are like unicorns. I mean, oh really? Honestly, <laughs> especially if you're doing on location and stuff like that, you're bouncing all around. And it's all about when you can get the permit and the location locked down and when you could get the studio time and soundstage time. So it's really rare. It's really, really, really rare to shoot a project in order in any capacity. So wow. um, that's pretty cool. That's, yeah. That's so, yeah. So if it's, shot, if it's shot in sequence, then it just that means it's easy for you to stay in character, doesn't it? And you know where you've come from and where you're going. And You know, I would say it's it's just a lot less homework and it's so much easier you know like a stage performance it's easier to know where the character has started and where he's been and where he can go and finish up from there you know so often you get on a film set or a tv set and you're shooting the end of the episode of the film first so you know it's really (laughs) got to do your homework if that's going to be the case so that you can you know have it make sense as you work backwards to the beginning right yeah right glad we don't worry about that right phil (laughs) just yeah yeah (laughs) We can barely keep track of our endings, and they're only like five minutes long. So. I know. I'll be a massive evil over the place like that. God. <laughs> All right. Very good. Well, why don't we move on then, and let's tackle Big, shall we, Phil? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So here we go. Big, directed by Penny Marshall, starring Tom Hanks, Elizabeth Perkins, Robert Loggia, John Lovitz, and John Hurd. Twelve-year-old Josh Baskin lives in New Jersey with his family. One day, while trying to impress an older girl at a carnival, he's told that he's too short to ride a roller coaster. So he puts a coin into a fortune-telling arcade machine called Zoltar and makes a wish to be big. It dispenses a card that tells him his wish is granted. But then he gets a little freaked out when he realizes that the machine wasn't even plugged in. The next morning, he wakes up in the body of a 30-year-old, obviously played by Tom Hanks, and he, uh, he tries to find the Zoltar machine, but it's gone, and his mom kicks him out thinking that he's an intruder. He finds his best friend, Billy, who agrees to help him find the machine. Meanwhile, Josh rents a room and takes a job in data entry at a toy company. When Josh impresses the owner of the company, Mr. McMillan, played by Robert Loggia, with his ability to look at toys like a kid, he gets promoted to chief toy tester. He also meets Susan Lawrence, played by Elizabeth Perkins. As Josh gets caught up in his adult life, he starts to miss being a kid. He tries to explain it all to Susan, but she thinks he's speaking metaphorically. When Billy shows up and tells Josh he's found the machine, Josh runs out of a meeting and Susan follows him. She realizes that he was telling the truth and he wishes to be a kid again. She takes him home and as she leaves, he turns back into his 12-year-old self. And the film ends with Josh and Billy hanging out and having fun being kids again. Very good. Nice uh, nice summary. Uh, Chad, how about Big? Is that a movie also that you're a fan of? Uh, again, it's been a while, but definitely... Definitely familiar with Zoltar and <laughs> big piano keys and yep, all yep. that fun stuff. And I, I, you know, I think it's fair to say I had a mild crush on Elizabeth Perkins when I was oh, a yeah. kid. Oh yeah, absolutely. I know well, I did for that's, sure. That's yeah. yeah, perfectly fine. I might, I might still have a little crush on her actually. If I'm being <laughs> honest. <laughs> it kind of never goes 
way. You know? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> All right, Phil, why don't you take things off then with uh, with your day after? Okay, well, I'm, I'll have to say, though, that uh, when you think of big, the whole concept of it, it's quite disturbing. <laughs> so I just, okay. <laughs> yeah, it does have a few moments for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, Josh spends the next day explaining to the police and his family where, where he's been for the past few months. He says he'd, he'd fell on and banged his head and lost his memory for a while, but uh, and the guy who he calls Big Josh was a kindly stranger who had helped him. The story's full of holes, but Josh's family are just glad to get him back, although a detective Somerset decides to dig deeper. Meanwhile, Susan returns to Seapoint Park and takes the Zoltar machine. She's not sure why, but she feels she should keep it safe. She's also troubled that she slept with a kid, even though he was an adult at the time. <laughs> uh, Josh's colleagues at Macmillan Toy Company also wonder what has happened to Josh when he left the presentation. And that's my day after. I never thought about that. Like, oh, you know, did they think like the company like put out like an MIA on him? You know, called the police. Yeah, because he. And goes the last they saw it, he runs out, and then right. they never see him again. Right. Interesting. Mm. Alrighty. Yes. So, uh, what about you? So Josh returns to school on Monday, and he's like a new kid. His sense of confidence has skyrocketed. When he sees a couple of jocks bullying one of the school's honor roll students, he steps in and defuses the situation. Billy is at first a little reluctant to let the picked-on kid into their close circle of friends, but Josh convinces him that it's okay to be open-minded. I'm starting to sound like an after-school special, I think. But, you know, I don't know. I think it keeps with the spirit of the movie. Uh, but, you know, cue the, the violin music here. Uh, although it's taking a turn now, because meanwhile, Susan, heartbroken over losing Josh, return, returns to her apartment and quickly gets drunk. She spends the next couple of days getting even more drunk on cheap wine, watching romantic comedies on VHS, and crying nonstop. And that's where we'll leave things for now. Okay, Ch- Chad. When you were when you were twelve, did you wish to be bigger? Uh, you know, I think there's times in everybody's childhood when they wish they were grown up. Yeah. Whether yeah, it's getting sure. shot down about the toys I can have, or this or that or whatever, or you know, just a schoolyard bully. You know, I think everybody yep. at some point has kind of had the moments where they're like, "Yeah, let's just fast forward a good decade here, and then and then and then we'll see what happens." Right. Right. And then you get to that point in your adult life, and you're like, man, I would kill to be a kid again. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Can I ask, you know, because being a Brit, I see all these films with American schools and stuff, and you mentioned the schools. With American schools like that, is it all like the jocks and the things? Is there any reality to it? Uh, Yeah. It's Yeah, I mean, you know, and and again, I I would think it's just a universal thing to click. Yeah. These types and these types, the popular kids, the jocks, the cheerleaders, the nerds, the this. Yeah, I think it's all pretty representative. All no, of it's, it's that's good to know. Yeah, definitely my experience as well. So yeah, what are you gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So here's my immediate aftermath. So Josh begins to become popular, but instead of letting it go to his head, he uses his popularity to make navigating the middle school experience easier for him and his peers. He uses the business skills he picked up working at Macmillan Toys to run for student council president, and running on a platform with a philosophy of making everything more fun, he wins by a landslide, with Billy along as his vice president. Once in office, Josh and Billy begin making sweeping reforms at the school in order to make the grueling middle school years easier. They pass anti-bullying rules, they broker a deal to get better food in the cafeteria, they run school events designed to improve the relationship between the students and the teachers, and all in all, they make the school a happier place. Meanwhile, Susan enters therapy after she sobers up from her bender (laughs) when she realizes that she was in love with a 12-year-old, and that's really not normal. No. No. (laughs) That's not all. No. How about you, Phil? What do you have for your, uh, your immediate aftermath? My immediate aftermath, okay. Josh is happy to be a kid again but he does miss being Big Josh at times. 
the cool apartments, the money, doing what he wanted, and the sex. <laughs> he feels he feels disillusioned and trapped. Keeping it classy. Uh, well, yeah, you know, we just uh, just slid that one in. Uh-huh. Oh, that, that's I'm, what I'm just leave that alone. <laughs> okay, sorry. He feels disillusioned and trapped as a kid, but he also felt the same when he was big. He, so he begins to get depressed. Meanwhile, Detective Somerset has been going over the Josh's case when he comes across another missing person's case for a Josh Baskin. This Josh is 30 years old. <laughs> he goes to the Macmillan Toy Company and starts asking around. He gets a photo of Big Josh. Susan is becoming more and more unhinged. She feels like she is losing her grip on reality. She saw the man she had fallen for turn into a child in front of her eyes and she is disturbed by what they did together. She feels that she has corrupted Josh. She becomes depressed. Mm. Detective Somerset takes the photo of Big Josh to Josh's family. Josh's mother says that that was the man who was in the house and Somerset feels that this could be a kidnapper who has now fled the city. He questions Susan about this and she falls apart. What she tells him makes no sense and he fears that Big Josh has been mentally abusing her in some way. <laughs> and that's uh, my immediate aftermath. It did go quite dark, I'm afraid. I'm sorry. Yeah, I w- that's, that's pretty normal for you. So, so Chad, just so you know, uh, f- I, I like to, well, we both like to tie things into other movies, but Phil does have a penchant for uh, turning characters into serial killers. So I tend to run over characters I don't like with a bus. He likes yeah, to turn yeah. them into serial killers. So this, this could go this, anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, okay, so that's that. So... What have you got for your long term, Mike? All right, so when Josh graduates from high school, having transformed both his middle and high schools into model schools with higher grades, lower truancy, and less conflict between students and teachers than any other school in New Jersey's history, he decides to go to college for political studies. When he graduates from college, he decides to run for U.S. Senator, even though he's so young. On the campaign trail, he meets up with Susan again. She's always held a special place in his heart, and she agrees to take on a position as his campaign advisor. Working closely together, they capitalize on Josh's campaign promises to make New Jersey positive and fun again, and he manages to win the Senate seat. Even though she's 18 years his senior, Josh and Susan fall in love again and get married. When Josh runs for president eight years later, he refuses to run negative campaign ads about his opponent, and with Susan by his side, he becomes the youngest president ever. Under the visionary leadership of Josh and Susan, the United States enters a golden age of happiness. Sounds almost exactly like our current presidential race, doesn't it? <laughs> What's that, Chad? Eerily similar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's I, you know, I basically I just took it from real life. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I did think I was just watching uh, like an American news broadcast. <laughs> right, right. Well, I strive for realism. What can I say? Uh, All right, Phil, why don't you bring it home and uh, share your long term? God, mine, yours is so you know in the light. Mine goes so dark. Oh, it's really? So <laughs> I yeah, can't wait I, to I, hear I, it. I really apologize ahead of time. <laughs> Oh, dear. I don't know if it says more about me. I don't know. That's okay. Right. So if, <laughs> okay. Ch- if Chad hangs up on the call, though, we'll know why. Yeah, it's because yeah. of you, not yeah. me. Yeah, tell everybody, never go on easy. This guy's a psycho. <laughs> right. Okay, long term. Both Josh and Susan have intense therapy for the months and the following years. Their fragile psyches have slowly repaired, and they both feel that the events never happened. However, years later, 20-year-old Josh bumps into Susan. Both had felt that they had moved on, but seeing each other brings their fragile sanity crashing down, it had all been real, yet such strange occurrences could, also, could only mean that reality was not what they thought. The following days see the pair rekindle their romance, but it quickly becomes twisted through paranoia, drugs and booze, until they have a total psychotic break. I thought it went dark. Yeah, okay. a little bit. Yeah. If reality is not what they thought, then anything is possible with no consequences. That's how they justify themselves. They start small by taking what they want, but it soon escalates until they end up killing a person. But they simply pack up and move on to the next town and they get worse and worse, yet they manage to evade the police for a long time. 
Their luck doesn't hold and Josh is killed during a police shootout. Susan, heart now broken as much as her mind as a smaller moment of clarity. She returns to the storage unit that houses the Zoltar machine. Tears pouring down her face as she remembers the horrors of the past few months. She puts a coin in the machine. I wish you'd never existed, she whispers. It dispenses a card. Your wish is granted. Twelve-year-old... Twelve-year-old Josh Baskin is told he is too short for a carnival ride called the Ring of Fire while trying to impress Cynthia Benson. Upset, he wanders around the carnival for a few hours and then goes home. Wow, Phil, I like it. Thank you very much. It was dark, but I love the way you, you brought it back to the, you know, to sort yeah, of wiping to, the slate clean. Yeah, back to the lights. Very good. All right, Thank well, you there you much. go. So, uh, so Chad, that's, uh, that's a little taste of Phil's mind for you there, but uh, <laughs> he's not too bad of a guy. Yeah, I don't feel like I need to run off and take a cold shower after that. <laughs> All right. Appreciate that. All right. Phil, how's your, how's your trivia on this one? Uh, well, yeah, just a quick one about casting. Tom Hanks was offered the role but couldn't do it at first. And Robert De Niro was offered it, but he was too expensive. And then Tom Hanks' schedule opened up. But other actors considered for the role of Josh, Big Josh, was Harrison Ford, John Travolta, Dennis Quaid, Robin Williams, Albert Brooks, Steve Gutenberg. And get this, Gary Busey. Wow. So get the Gary Busey one would have fitted into my after the end, and I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would have. Well, we probably wouldn't be talking about the movie still today if Gary Busey was <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Very true. So It'd be a very different film. All right, very nice. Okay, so there you go. Those were our endings for uh, Big and The Sixth Sense. We hope you enjoyed them. We'll tell you how to share your thoughts on them a little bit later. But for now, let's move into our Mighty Morphing mini feature. And as you've probably guessed, this week our mini feature is an interview with Chad Michael Collins. Hey. <laughs> Hi, Chad. Hi. So, um, so first of all, why don't we start off by talking about your newest film, which is Sniper Ghost Shooter, which comes out, like you said, on, on DVD August 2nd. Um, for people who aren't familiar with the, the film or, or with the franchise so far that you've been in, why don't you just give a little breakdown of your character and, and tell us a little about what's going to happen in the new film. You got it. Um, yeah, so uh, Sony Pictures does a franchise called Sniper, and the first Sniper... Uh, was shot and and came out in theaters in about '93, and it starred Tom Berenger as um, um, uh, an elite Marine sniper named Thomas Beckett, and he goes on a mission with uh, Billy Zane, who is an Olympic biathlete and kind of a crack shot, and they go into the jungles of Panama. Uh, so they made, I think two. Tom made two more: Sniper Two, Sniper Three, over the next you know seven eight years. Sony kind of shelved the franchise, and around 2010, they rebooted it, and I had worked for Sony before previously, and they, they a producer over there thought, thought of me as a dead ringer for a young Tom Berenger, so they came a-calling with the idea to, at first, do an origin story with uh, flashbacks and flash-forwards with me playing a young Tom Berenger in the jungles of Vietnam. Um, they scrapped that idea, and Sniper Reloaded came about in 2011 and it was me and Billy Zane reprising his role and I played the son of Tom Berenger and uh, I'm a marine infantry grunt who discovers the way of the long gun like dear old dad who I've never (laughs) known my whole life so uh, so that's kind of how they rebooted it and uh, 2014 uh, we did a movie called Sniper Legacy that actually brought Tom Berenger back into the fold and introduced Dennis Haysbert playing kind of like a squad leader, the colonel. 
And that brings us up to August 2nd, uh, uh, Sniper Ghost Shooter is the latest installment with uh, me reprising my role. Billy Zane has come back to play with us, and Dennis Hainsbury is, is the shot caller once again. And we're over in uh, Syria. Uh, our unit is of, of special elite snipers are contracted to protect a very precious uh, gas oil pipeline running all through Europe and Middle East. And we are tasked to kind of protect it. And there is a, a terrorist outfit very intent on destroying it. So mm. that's, uh, we, are, we are there to prevent that from happening and also solve all sorts of other issues uh, in, in that world, in the hotbed over there. Very cool. Now, I... I um... I want to say I'm actually a big fan of this franchise, and uh, I may be dating myself, but I saw the first Sniper movie, the original one, in theaters, actually, because, oh, cool. uh, yeah, I, I actually, I really love the first movie, and I've, I've seen every single one of them. I, I saw all yeah. of Tom Berenger's sequels, and then, of course, uh, when you came along and rebooted, I've been watching all of those uh, faithfully as well, and I really enjoyed them, actually. I enjoy them uh, quite a bit. They're really fun I mean, they're they're serious films, but they're they're good, enjoyable action films. They are, and you know, they're again it, the budget's on a bit of a lower side, but at the same time, it's it's a quick, fun ninety minutes. You know, uh, well, fun. There's action. It just <laughs> right. moves. Yes. You know, moves. Things blow up. Bad guys lose. Good guys usually win. Uh, it's just a real nice kind of formula. But I, I I'm like you. I remember the first Sniper, and you know, watching reruns on TBS or. USA or something like that. There's that opening sequence where, you know, you, it's just kind of a wide shot of, of all this foliage. And, and you can tell it's a jungle. You can tell it's a bit tropical. And then all of a sudden, a chopper is touching down. So the wind is whipping and the leaves are blowing and the camera just stays there. And then all of a sudden, this dude just rises up out of the foliage. <laughs> yeah. He's completely yep. blended in in his ghillie suit. And it's Tom Berenger. And I'll, I'll never forget that opening of the movie. I was like, that's so cool. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember watch. I remember watching that on a home video. Yeah, and just because snipe, snipers are always cool, and it's, I just that scene you mentioned, yeah, just standing up and you're going, "Oh my god, he was there the whole time." <laughs> right. Yeah. So how how was this this latest shoot? I mean, obviously, uh, you know, carrying that gun and doing all the prep work, you know, for you know, it's not just you're not just running around with with a, you know with an M16. This is this is a little bit more involved than that. Was it was it physically grueling? Was it mentally taxing? What was the shooting like? You know we. You know, like I said, these budgets are on, on a bit of a lower end. So, you know, for an action movie, we've got to shoot it out in anywhere from 23 to 25 days, which is nuts. You know, right. 90 pages of a wow. Uh So they are. They are uh, a blitzkrieg of just, you know, running, jumping, diving, sliding, falling, shooting, hand-to-hand uh, -hand combat and fight choreography. So it is, you know, by the end of it, you, you know, you've made a movie and you feel it. So <laughs> the video right. is always welcome at the end of it. Um, but, but yeah, I, you know, I try to come in and, and just keep myself in shape. I do tend to play soldier roles, military roles, physical roles. And I, you know, I really enjoy it. And, you know, I always tell people I, I grew up with GI Joe's man. So it's, it's living a dream being able to play <laughs> this kind of pretend for a living. So, you know, training coming into it is, is just doing all your boot camp stuff. Lots of pull-ups, lots of push-ups, lots of, you know, hill running and trail running and, and stuff like that. But, you know, like you said, Mike, there's there's no real preparation for lugging around a 35-pound rifle and having right. to print with that thing. It's a whole different animal. And, you know, much respect to the, you know, armed servicemen and women who do this because, you know, you just can't train for stuff like that. And, and sure. 
it, you know, it's a challenge, but it's a fun challenge. And, and you usually find that everybody, you know, rises to the occasion. A lot of actors always think they want to do action movies and then they get into something like this and they're like, Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Now you tend to, you mentioned this actually, I was already going to ask you, but you tend to play a lot of, you know, uniformed characters, we'll say soldiers, police, you know, that type of things. Is that something, you know, I I mean, obviously you're, you're physically suited for the role, but you, you sort of have that, you know, you play the parts well. Is that something you sort of fell into, or do you think there's something about you that, that kind of draws those roles to you? You know, I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's, you know, something like I've always said, I've, I've always been interested in whether it's been Band of Brothers or Braveheart. You know, these are typically some of my favorite movies, you know, the Saving Private Ryans and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, I've got a lot of family that's, you know, in the military and um, a cousin who's a Marine who did two tours a while back and he was stationed down at Camp Pendleton in San Diego and um, I just always known it grandfathers uncles cousins everybody has kind of you know been in the service so I was always kind of surrounded by that in general and just developed an appreciation for it you know and I guess right. it, you know the, the blonde hair and the blue eyes doesn't help to sell that kind of Captain America good guy right. type thing so you know it is my type you know typically in the acting stuff but I love it and I yeah I have so much so much fun with it and it's you know it's my great pleasure to try and and to do these roles justice you know we do the best we can obviously we're making a movie and i'm i i'm not living the life that these soldiers have lived but you know it is nice to get the good feedback and to kind of get their seal of approval on it sure oh i can imagine yeah now now turning things completely 180 on that um so I I haven't revealed this on the show yet publicly, but I'm sort of <laughs> slightly obsessed with like lifetime Christmas movies. Uh, it's sort of one of my like secret guilty pleasures. Okay. Um, and uh, and it turns out, lo and behold, as I'm doing my research, that you've been in two of those: Love's Christmas Journey and The Christmas Card. Now here's the thing: last Christmas, <laughs> last Christmas, the very last movie that I watched for the Christmas season was The Christmas Card, which you were in, Chad. So I feel like that's very serendipitous. Um, and I enjoyed it very much. I know. I'm sorry, Phil. I know you're probably no, like, I need right. a new co-host. He's like, Chad, are you available? Um, anyway, no, I'm so... Just, I, I'm, just, I'm just saying that we go, we go from The Sniper to The Christmas know, movies. I love it. It's I know, brilliant. but I do. I love, these, I love these Lifetime movies. I watch them every Christmas. I watch a whole bunch of them. It's terrible. Um, but anyway, I, just, I was curious, like, what's that like? like I, I just picture those sets being like, you know... Like fun and full of Christmas miracle, but it's probably like filmed in like July and everyone's sweating and you know. So what are, what are those like for you? Well, I will I will correct you on just one minor thing. Oh no, what uh, I do? Hallmark movies. Oh, that's it. That's what I meant so, to say. You know, you know what you're getting with a Hallmark movie. That's right. Um, and it's funny enough on the Christmas card is one of my first acting jobs, maybe my yep. second or third ever acting job back when I still didn't really even know what I was doing and if I wanted to pursue this full time. It was just kind of a really fun hobby when I was Mm -hmm. brave enough to show up and do it and you know but I was not in a lot of that movie but in in a flashback opening quarter of the script I played a soldier (laughs) (laughs) of course (laughs) you know the 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 Christmas card stuff uh for the rest of the movie uh but you know it, it it's light and you know you're making a good feeling kind of corny a little bit but in a great way you know holiday spirit type of way thing so those shoots are always a pleasure and they're always really nice and everything's pretty free and pretty loose and you know it's nobody's aspiring for emmys here right right keeping it simple keeping a good clean fun and so yeah those shoots are always a joy 
sometimes that's just what you need with a film. Exactly. You, just, you just want that sometimes. Exactly. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. That makes me very happy to hear because I, yeah. <laughs> I do enjoy them very much. Um, all right, I want to ask you one more thing, and then Phil has a couple quick questions for you. But uh, I know that you have been um, working on, I believe you're finished now, uh, an upcoming movie, a, and I love the concept of this, a werewolf western called Howlers with Sean Patrick Flannery, who we're also a big fans of. Yes. Um, so what can you tell us about that film? Uh, Howlers is is pretty cool, and I mean, I was just talking about me being an actor, getting to play a soldier is just a dream, and it's it's super fun. And uh, this one, I got to play an old west cowboy uh, oh, who cool. had his family slaughtered by werewolves, and basically uh, trained and was trained by this mysterious entity who taught him the way of the werewolf slayer. And yes. you know, eradicated werewolves in the old west, mysteriously finds himself. Uh, woken up in the present day and and realizes that he the the job he thought he finished is not over yet and these werewolves have come back and they're terrorizing a small town in the modern day so you've got an old west cowboy transported to the to the present modern day which is just worlds apart and hunting down these werewolves hopefully for the last time so very very fun it's it's kind of um it's a lot of action. We shot unbelievable amounts of fight choreography. It just it blew any sniper movie I had away in terms of wow. the hand and stuff, which is going to be awesome on the back end. But uh, the werewolves look great, and my costume, full-on black hat and duster. You know, I've got everything from twin axes to a crossbow to other Van Helsing type, you know, accoutrements, and it, it was it was really fun. And the director is a guy named Josh Ridgeway. Super talented. He wrote this script. Uh, it's got the action. It's got the horror and the blood and the gore. But it's also kind of like those old John Carpenter movies where it doesn't take itself too seriously. There's a lot of humor and, and gallows humor in it. And so it's just a really, really fun ride. And I'm really excited for it to come out. And, and Sean Patrick Flannery in it, by the way, hilarious. Like, he's absolutely gut-busting hilarious in this. And, and he's such a great guy. It was awesome to get to meet and work with him. Well, I, I can't even tell you how excited I am for that movie because it has so many things that I love in it. It's it's not even funny. I'm, I, I mean, when he first announced it on social media, I was excited already, but now I'm ten times more excited. So, it sounds awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. I just say it ticks all the boxes. Right. Time traveling werewolves, cowboys, <laughs> something for everyone. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, Phil. I think you had a couple questions for Chad too, right? Yeah, a couple of questions. Going back to sniper, though. So, what's the uh, what's the training like when you actually, you know, with the sniper rifles, and what's that like when you you first got out there using the sniper rifles? Yeah, you know, they you know the budgets aren't big enough to to send all the actors away on a boot camp. So, mm -hmm. uh, but I spend time at the range. I spend time, you know, shooting here and there. And of course, I do all the physical training to just look and feel the part, you know, because I know it's a lot of uh, very rigorous phys physical requirements going into these shoots. Uh, on set, though, we've always been blessed with really wonderful technical advisors, you know, former military. Yeah. Um, for this last movie, we had a, a guy named Pete Stone, who was a U.S. Marine, and he was just wonderful. And he, all these guys, a guy named Patrick Garrity, who was a legit Marine Scout sniper, he did Sniper Legacy for us. And, you know, I always approach these movies with, even though I've done these movies and I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable around the weapons and this and that, I may know some things. Every day I show up to work with these guys, I say, you know, I'm going to be picking your brains. I'm going to be glued to your side. I want to get this right. I want to represent the, everybody properly here. And let's just pretend I don't know anything. And let's just start from scratch. And even if I do know it, it's all good. And, and you know, there's no macho approach. And, 
you approach them openly and they're so happy to tell you what they know and it, it's it's nice it's on the fly and it's on the spot i think everybody would prefer to have that week of just yeah, yeah. hands-on training but unfortunately for these movies there's not always that opportunity so uh, it's always in your best interest to pick the brains of these uh very talented very knowledgeable people who, who have lived this life okay uh, and as as we uh, called after the ending what are your some of your favorite movie endings uh, my favorite endings, um, you know, my, my, my two favorite movies, you know, off the top of my head of all time are Braveheart. So the freedom moment, uh, yeah, where he yells after he gets gelded, uh, <laughs> that's obviously classic and very close to my heart. And my other, one of my other favorite movies of all time, uh, cause I, I read a lot of his books beforehand is Fight Club. And oh, love it. Yeah, I, yeah, cool, I, cool. I love the ending of that movie because it's just, Ed Norton and Helena Bottom Carter hand in hand watching the chaos and the skyscrapers just drop all around them and cue the Pixies, where is my mind? And I'm a huge Pixies fan. And I'm like, that will always resonate to me as one of the best endings of, of any movie that I've ever seen. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, great, yeah. great choices for sure. Yeah. Okay, and uh, going right back to the other end, what is the first film that you remember watching? Oh, the first film I remember watching. Um, boy, we're going to have to dig back. <laughs> I know. Seriously, Phil, you're pulling out some, uh, pulling out some good ones. I know. It's, it's always good. It brings out some good answers. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, you know, well, you know I'm, I'm 87 years old. So I got <laughs> you sound so young. Back. Yeah. Uh, talkies, they were called. Um, <laughs> no, uh, you know, I grew up with probably, you know, I mean, all the kids grew up with Disney movies and stuff like that. And I remember everything from Dumbo to Bambi. But, you know, you know what I came across as a kid? It was at my local public library. Uh, they had this really rare, and I think people know about it in kind of cult circles. There was an animated uh, version of The Hobbit that was made in like the late 70s. Yep, yep. I know, I've seen those, yeah. yeah. It was kind of weird and bizarro, but at the same time really cool. And I remember seeing that uh, as a kid and just having, just being really influenced by it and just kind of like taken away because, you know, every, every kid's into cartoons. And I remember seeing that at a young age and... You know, next thing you know, like I, I was a voracious reader as a kid, and I'm reading The Hobbit in fourth grade. I'm I'm devouring Stephen King books by the fifth grade, and I just I think that kind of gave me the taste for fantasy and the supernatural yeah. and everything from werewolves and vampires to, you know, hobbits and rangers and all sorts of knights. You know, this is this is I think one of the early influential things that I remember watching as a kid that definitely set up. The, the next few decades for me because I'm yeah. totally a nerd at heart. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Last question for me then, uh, as on the veins of monsters and things, what uh, what famous movie monster would you be killed by, and what would your final words be? Famous monster. You know, I played Frankenstein's monster in Once Upon a Time, so I feel like I shouldn't rock the boat and go against old Frank <laughs> here. But um, <laughs> you know, I feel like I don't know. There's something about werewolves. You know, I don't. I don't know what it is. Um, I don't know if I would say it's 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 the Wolfman in particular, but I just feel like a werewolf compared to any number of other supernatural creatures, maybe yeah. you have a chance. Like they're bigger, they're stronger, they're probably faster. But if you just got a little silver on you, you you, you know, you're saying there's a chance here. And I feel like, <laughs> I feel like it'd be a pitch battle back and forth. But if in the end I bought the farm, I'd have to just rip off Charlton Heston and, and just say get your damn dirty paws off me 
<laughs> like <laughs> <a> the rope. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Oh, I love it. <laughs> that's fantastic. All right, well, I think that's going to wrap us up for now. So uh, I know that uh, Phil and I would like to say, Chad, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure having you. We, we really appreciate you taking the time to come and hang out with us for a little bit. Phil and Mike, it was my great pleasure. What a fun time. Thanks very much. Really enjoyed it. And you guys should, should you know, start developing some, some sequel scripts for your after endings here. I think yeah, that, right? That's, that's maybe that's in our future. Yeah. That's what we keep saying. We need to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, Chad, uh, we will see you on August 2nd in Sniper Ghost Shooter, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, have you back on the show again sometime in the future. I hope so. I look forward to it, guys. Thanks for having me. All righty. Thank you. Take it easy. All the best. Okay, well, that was a pleasure, obviously, having Chad uh, join us for some, some guest hosting duties, and hopefully he'll come back on the show sometime in the future. Yes, it was uh, really enjoyable, and I really like the sound of Howlers. Yes, we are both looking forward yeah. to that, for yeah. sure. Sounds really good. All right, well, why don't we travel back in time just a few years to 2001 with our 100 Years of Hollywood in 100 episodes. Phil, why don't you tell people what the world was like back in 2001? 2001, we had the... Uh, Mission to Jupiter when HAL 9000 went crazy and did all that stuff. Oh, oh no. yeah. Okay. yeah. I, I see what you did there, Phil. Thank you very much. So we had the Prime Minister here in the UK was Tony Blair. And over in the US, it was President, President George W. Bush. Okay, we had the Wikipedia launched. We had the terrible events of 9-11, uh, which saw the Office of Homeland Security created soon after. Uh, the Schumacher probe landed on an asteroid. Uh, the UK foot and mouth crisis began. I remember when that was happening, it was a, always a pain when you go and travel into like around Europe, you had to, you know, all the security was up there and you had to check that you had no food in your bags and stuff like that. Very wow. crazy. Mm. Uh, the Russian space station Mir falls into the Pacific. Uh, it was controlled for uh, the first release of Mac OS X. We had the first ever space tourist, uh, Dennis Tito. He went up in the Soyuz TM32. We also had the first self-contained artificial heart, which was implanted in Robert Tools. And a composition called As Slow As Possible by John Cage begins, and it will play for the next 639 years. That seems like the type of thing that has a point. Hmm. <laughs> the, point, the point is, yeah. I mean, I, I know they do these things for whatever, but it's just yeah. like, really? Like, what? what yeah. Why? How do we know it's going to last 639 years? You could just say that. <laughs> right. Well, none of us will be around to prove it right or wrong. Could so. you imagine those 638 years ago and we've got another year and it stops to go, oh, no. <laughs> we were so we're close. A big celebration. We were yeah, so yeah. close. <laughs> and now we have to start the whole thing over again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do it again. No. Uh, we, also, we lost some uh, good people in 2001, some famous faces. Uh, Robert Ludlum, Jack Lemon, uh, Victor Wong, uh, Gloria Foster, George Harrison, Nigel Hawthorne. Joey Ramone, Douglas Adams, and Anthony Quinn. And we also had the film debuts of some people. Remember, it's 2001. We had Ty Burrell, Dominic Cooper, Tom Hardy, Bradley Cooper, Anne Hathaway, and Dwayne Johnson. Oh, all people I like very much. Yeah, and it's it's crazy to think that they're, they're all big stars now, all of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, here's what I noticed about 2001, Phil. Uh, there was a lot of really good movies in 2001. I definitely had a tough time whittling my my list down to just 10 films. Yes. But there was also a lot of really bad movies, too. Like, I, if I had to make a, a list of the, the 10 worst films, I would have had just as hard of a time whittling it down to 10. Did you notice that? 
Yeah, I know, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, it's kind of like lots and lots of films. Yeah, there was a... yeah, great, some great films, but also a lot of films that sort of represented like the worst in filmmaking. You know, mm, yeah, quite agree. Like what what's indicative of just like bad movies that were just made of a time where you know just cheap bad movies was the way to go, and they all managed to make it in the theaters. Yeah, they just seem to be churning them out as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just lots and lots of them. So, all right, well, let's see what we got. Okay, do you want to go give us your number 10 and your top 10 films of 2001? Sure thing. Well, my number 10 is Max Keeble's Big Move. No, I'm just, I'm kidding. It's not. Um, <laughs> sorry. But my, my real number 10, though, may sound like I'm joking, but I'm actually not. And it is Bubble Boy starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Now, here's the thing about Bubble Boy. It's a, it's a comedy, and it's about a boy who, who you know, lives in a bubble because he has one of those diseases where any germs could kill him. Yeah. Uh, and it is hysterically funny, and it's such a silly, stupid movie, but, man, it makes me laugh. To the fact, to this day, 15 years later, whenever, if I go see a movie, a comedy movie without my wife, she'll always ask me, she'll say, well, how was it? I'll say it was funny. She'll say, well, was it Bubble Boy funny? That's be- <laughs> sort of become, like, our go-to kind of comparison. Oh, okay, yeah. Like, that's how much we love this film so uh, if you haven't seen it I, I know it sounds and probably looks fairly dumb but it is you will laugh a lot it's a very funny silly movie so that's my number 10 well i've i've never seen it but i'm aware of it and i've seen clips of it i think it was uh probably he was being interviewed and he showed some clips on a chat show or something but no i'll, I'll check it out yeah it's, it's really worth tracking down because it will take you by surprise it's just it'll just make you, it'll just make you laugh okay uh, my number 10 is also a, it's a bit of a silly comedy it's uh ivan reitman's evolution starring david duchovny orlando jones sean william scott julian moore and ted levine uh it's about a meteor crashes it's got extraterrestrial life on it which evolves very quickly and david duchovny is a scientist who looks into it and very Lots of different creatures start cropping up, attacking people. Funny things happen. Uh, it's a bit of silly fun, and it's good to see David Duchovny doing some silly fun as well. Sure. You know, I, I, I've I, only seen the movie once. I saw it in theaters, and I, I don't remember being terribly impressed by it. But it's one of those ones I've thought about over the years time, time and again. And I, I definitely want to go back and revisit it because I'm curious to see. You know, I think my expectations were really high at the time. So I'm curious yeah, to watch yeah. it now and sort of see what, you know, what I think of it now. Well, I could. I caught it at home first time I saw it, so I wasn't expecting anything. Right, right. And that was probably that was probably the better way to go into it, to be honest. I'm sure it was. I have no because you just didn't have a clue what was going on. Just, just lots of things got, happening, but no, I, I always it's always stuck with me. And whenever it's on TV, I always uh, always give it a watch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, my number okay. nine is Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. No, I'm sorry, it's not. Um, sorry. <laughs> like, there's just so many bad movies, I can't help it. Uh, but but once again, people may think I'm joking, but number nine is American Outlaws, which is the story of Frank and Jesse James. Uh, and it's God, it's just such a fun movie. I do not like Westerns for the most part, but I love this movie. Colin Farrell plays Jesse James and Gabriel Mock. Oh, that one. Yeah. 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 yeah Gabriel Mock, who stars now on Suits on USA. He plays Frank James. Yeah. yeah. And. The two of them are, are just phenomenal together, and I, I actually singled them both out when I reviewed the film, and I said, both of these guys are amazing. Um, I said, this Colin Farrell kid, because nobody knew who he was at the time, I said, he's going to be a star, mark my words. And I'm, I'm happy to say that I was right in that case. Uh, and Gabriel Macht, I've always sort of followed. He's, he was under the radar a lot longer, but um, yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoy this movie. It's a fun action film. There's some really great just action set pieces. There's a great train sequence. Uh, it's one of those movies that I think is extremely underrated. It's not like great cinema, you know, it's not magical movie making, but if you just want like yeah. 90 minutes of pure fun, y- you can't do better than that movie. So that's my number nine. Okay, yeah, well, I'll, I'll definitely check that one out. Once again, I was aware of the film, but 
Never seen sure. it. I wonder. That's. I might not have got a cinema release over here. Thank you. I don't. I don't think it, we got much of a cinema release over yeah, here yeah. either. But uh, I happened to get lucky and see it early, and I just fell in love with it, and it's always stuck with me. Cool, cool, cool. Okay, my number nine is a film uh, called Zoolander, by, directed by Ben Stiller, and starring Stiller, Owen Wilson, and Will Ferrell. How do you expect them to learn how to read if they can't even sit in the building? Sorry, that's my, that's my favorite line <laughs> from that movie. Is everybody here taking crazy pills? <laughs> it's the same look. <laughs> yeah. Blue steel. It's magnificent. I just That's such a great film to quote. I yeah. love it. There you go. That's the reason why. It's it's hilarious. It's lots so many famous faces, so quotable. And uh, luckily, I've not seen Zoolander 2 because I really didn't want to after I read the reviews. Right. So I, I haven't I haven't tarnished it in any way. Right. So, but uh, I do like it, and also it's got Billy Zane. Sure, there you go. Yeah, I um, I, you know, Zoolander just missed my list, but it was definitely on my short list. I, I definitely yeah, came yeah. very close to putting it on there, but it just got eked out. But I do, I do love it very much. It's very funny. Yeah, I think it's like a a, a favorite of many people. It's always you know, it's an enjoyable one to watch. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, you're always gonna laugh. I, I love the David Duchovny bit as well. You know, and he's, he has to repeat the whole thing again. And <laughs> right. it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Good choice. Good choice. All right. Well, my number eight is Josie and the Pussycat. No, I'm sorry. I'm t- apparently I'm just going <laughs> to run this joke into the ground, but I can't help it because for every good you gotta, movie, you, I feel you like you've got to keep going. Now you've got to do. I do, and I have to. I feel now. like I have to balance it out. For every good movie, I have to sort of balance it out with a terrible movie. <laughs> no, my actual number eight though is Brotherhood of the Wolf, which is a oh, yeah, yeah. yeah French action adventure film about a supernatural creature haunting the the French uh, courtyard, uh, the French countryside during the 1800s and. They bring in this hunter and his sort of like Native American, uh, almost like a ninja type character. It, it's, it was that Mark Dacascos. Yes, Mark Dacascos. Yep. Yeah, 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 it's 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 one of those movies where if you haven't heard of it or if you haven't seen it, it sounds a bit outlandish. Monica Bellucci is also in it, um, but <sighs> yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. But if you if the people that I know who have seen it really love it, I think it's a film with a very devoted cult following. It is fantastic. It is just visually. I mean, bl- will blow you away. It's such a visually stunning yeah, it does, film. It does look really good. Yeah, and just some great action sequences. And it's just a movie that I, I, I really, really love. Yeah, to, to, to be honest, I've forgotten about the film. But yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it when I saw it. Yeah, good good film. Very good. Okay, my number eight is The Last Castle, directed by Rod Laurie and starring Robert Redford, James Gandolfini, Mark Ruffalo, Delroy Lindo, lots of others. It's based on Fort Leavenworth and a highly decorated U.S. Army gem- lieutenant general played by Robert Redford. is court-martialed and... and sentence there and then a battle begins between the prisoners and, with the general and the prisoners against the warden who's a bit of a bit of a sod to be honest yeah. but it's a yeah good good film and um, robert redford is always brilliant well i uh, i agree with you very much that is a great film my number seven however is corky romano no i'm sorry <laughs> uh, my number seven actually is we didn't match up on the numbers but we were very close my number seven is The Last Castle Oh, uh, so I, I do love this film very much and um, you know it wouldn't be an episode of After the Ending if I didn't talk about Robert Redford but here's an interesting tidbit <laughs> for you you know as I've said before I didn't grow up a Robert Redford fan you know I'd seen him in a few movies like The Sting when I was young but I, I didn't really delve yeah. into his filmography until 2001 where uh, The Last Castle and Spy Game both came out on video, I want to say the same day, but maybe not. That might just be my memory. But within a very <laughs> short period of time, and I watched both of those movies, and I loved them both. And I was like, oh, my God, Robert Redford. Like, I never realized how amazing he was. And so those are the two mo- movies that sort of 
really converted me into being the Robert Redford fan that I am now. And I've gone since gone back and watched obviously as many films of his as I can. Um, add to the yep. fact that the fact that I do love any good prison film. There's so many prison films that I, I just I, something about that genre that I love. Uh, and this was clearly going to be on my list. Brilliant. Okay, so my number seven is the Coen Brothers film, The Man Who Wasn't There, black and white one. So I'm Billy Bob Thornton in the title role. Also features Tony Shalhoub, who's really good at the minute in uh, Brain Dead mm -hmm. on Amazon. Uh, also got Scarlett Johansson, James Gandolfini, Francis McDormand, Richard Jenkins, and lots of other people. It's a bit of a noir thriller, but as usual with the Coen Brothers, not actually that much happens, but it's quirky characters, uh, very laid back. Looks great in the black and whites, and yeah, I really, uh, I really enjoyed it when I saw it. That's my number seven. Very good. Well, my number six pick is Monkey Bone, starring Brendan Fraser and a <laughs> cartoon. Mo no, I'm sorry. Um, my my real number six is Frailty, starring Matthew McConaughey and Bill Paxton, and it's a sort of psychological horror film thriller type of movie, uh, and it's utterly fantastic. And what's interesting was up until this point, Matthew McConaughey, you know, he did a Time to Kill, and he was phenomenal. Yeah. And then he did mostly romantic comedies, and so by the time Frailty came out, people sort of forgot that he could act, and then. This came out, and it didn't really do – it didn't make a lot of money. It wasn't seen by a lot of people, but, man, it's such an intense film. And Bill Paxton, I believe, directed it as well as co-starring in it. And it's it's just I – I can't even talk about the story because it will give stuff away, and it's really a movie that predicates, I think, a lot on not knowing what to expect. But if you really want to see a very cool dark thriller with some great performances, uh, check out Frailty. I, I very highly recommend it. So is that your number six? Yeah, did I skip one? No, no, I'm just checking yet because my number six is also Frailty. Oh, wow, look at that. Yes, yes. <laughs> Great choice. As you say, yeah, I, I knew nothing about the film when I saw it, and but it sort of had Bill Paxton in and Powers Booth and Matthew McConaughey, and the, I just put it put it on. I think I had some friends around when we put it on, but I remember just being blown away by it. Just, uh, it wasn't what I expected, a lot darker than I expected it was going to be. And it was, as you say, we can't really... I don't really want to spoil it for anyone at all because right. it's uh, it's really good. It's such a good film. Honestly, if I'd seen it more recently, it might have even made it higher on my list, but it has mm, been a while, yeah, a probably, few years yeah, since I've yeah, seen it. Yeah. But now I definitely want to watch it again. So my number five is Joe Dirt. <laughs> Not really. Uh, my... My real number five is Guillermo del Toro's The Devil's Backbone, which is a ghost story, a, a horror film of sorts, kind of a, like a dramatic horror film, though. It's a Spanish-language film set in a boys' orphanage during uh, some war. I think I want to say World War II, but maybe it's a Spanish war. I'm not entirely sure. But it's, it's, I think it's a Spanish Civil War, I think. Yeah, Spanish Civil War, that's it. And it's a, it's a dark psychological thriller. It does have a ghostly element to it. It's a quiet film. There's not a lot of jump scares. It's all about mood and atmosphere. It's super creepy, and it is utterly fantastic. So even I know a lot of people don't like subtitles, but trust me, this film is worth sitting through, regardless of how you feel about subtitles. To be to be honest, I've seen. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Glenn del Toro's, but I've yet to see this uh, film. I've got it on. Well, I've got it on the shelf somewhere, but I've just never got around to see it. Let me tell you, Phil, you need to make it a priority. Yeah, it is. I know it, it is, is yeah. fantastic. It's really good, and it will creep you out. Don't watch it too late at night because it is creepy. <laughs> okay, well, I'll definitely have to do that because yeah. I do love his work. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, it's great stuff. Great. I stuff. don't know why it's. Just, I think it's, I think I missed it when it first came around, and then you know the way things happen, you just. Other things come along. Yep, I understand. Okay. So my number five is Vanilla Sky. Hmm. Uh, directed, written, and co-produced by Cameron Crowe. And was a remake of the Spanish film Open Your Eyes. It stars Tom Cruise, Penelope Cruz, Cameron Diaz, Jason Lee, Kate Russell. It's very... Oh, the guy in a mask. 
it's telling his story to a psychologist played by Kurt Russell. Keep having flashbacks and then it back and forth, and he he's got crazy ex girlfriends, bizarreness going on, tech support, and I I really enjoyed it. Also, probably because the time when I watched it, I was on the plane going to Peru, and it's all about question. You know, reality is a bit different, and I'd been really I wasn't sleeping right on the plane, and then. I was looking out and we were over South America and it was all very bizarre. I was in somewhere new and it just, it all just seemed to mix and meld into one and just was really, uh, you know, when you just, I wasn't sure what was going on by the end right. of it, but I really enjoyed well, it. Good. Well, maybe if I'd had that experience, I might have enjoyed it more. I, I do have to be honest, I'm not a fan of that film, uh, which was disappointing because I'm a huge Cameron Crowe fan. And, and when this came out, I rushed out to see it because I'd loved pretty much yeah, every yeah. movie he's ever done since then or before that. And um, I was not really a fan of it. But, you know, I can I can certainly understand where you're coming from. But it's, it's, it's a bit of an odd mix anyway for one of his films. All right. Well, my number four is Rockstar with Mark Wahlberg and his mullet. No, it's it's not. I've forgotten about all these bad films. Yeah, uh, that movie is so yeah. that movie is so awful. It's actually if you watch that movie as a comedy, it's fantastic. Okay, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. it's not a comedy. But if you watch it with that in mind, it, you'll have a lot of fun. Okay. But my actual number four, however, is a little film called The Lord of the Rings: The Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, I don't think I need to say too much about it. You know, it's the first one in the franchise. Peter Jackson, obviously, trying to bring to life a world that had never really been brought to life, except for an animated form, which is funny because Chad mentioned that a little while ago. Um, but mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you can say what you want. The first half is a little slow, this or that. But once the movie picks up and gets going, it's it's just fantastic. It's just what what. It proves that big-budget spectacle doesn't have to be brainless action. It can also be heartfelt and, you know, have drama and still have amazing visuals. So, Well, it's funny because uh, one of the, the Hobbit movies, The Desolation of Smog, was on – or Smog, <laughs> right, as they say. Right. It, was on, uh, it was on TV over the weekend, and I watched it again with Hannah because she loves all, all the Middle-earth films. Mm -hmm. But it's funny how the, uh, the Lord of the Ring films, they, they seem to look a lot better than the Hobbit ones do. Oh, I agree. I agree. Even now. Just because there's, there's less CG, uh, they had like all the the Urukai, the orcs were just like people in suits and the others, and there's just it just they seem more real. Mm -hmm. The Lord of the Rings. Films. Yeah, I, I I can I agree completely. Okay, well you have a good pick. Uh, my number four is uh, one I'm sure you love, Mike. It's uh, David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. Oh uh, yeah, huge fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stars Naomi Watts, Laura Harring, Ann Miller, Justin Theroux, Robert Forster, and it also stars Billy Ray Cyrus. Wow, who's that? Yeah, he's actually not that bad, isn't it? Interesting. But he's only got a tiny role. But it's, uh, it was going to be a, a pilot for a TV show. The show got cancelled. And it all it's about an amnesiac woman who ends up uh, going to an apartment and meets Naomi Watts. And then she's also an aspiring actress. And uh, it's a David Lynch film. Things go very strange. And I was going to say, do, you, of do you know why the show probably got cancelled, Phil? Because, <laughs> because on television, they like things to make sense and have something of a coherent plot. Twin Peaks is coming back, Mike. Twin Peaks is coming back. <laughs> but no, I, I, I love it. It's uh, Naomi Watts was brilliant in it as well. It's the same way she goes to an audition and she's with this actor who's meant to be auditioning with and she does it and she's not very good and she's stumbling through it and then they say no do this to do it this way and then suddenly it's just you can just see how what a good actor can do just from that one little scene right. which is even if you don't like the film it's a cracking scene though. sure sure but uh but it's yeah i really like it. it's one of my favorite uh, uh david lynch films all right well my number three is osmosis jones not really okay so <laughs> <laughs> People are really going to love me by the end of this list, huh? Osmosis Jones. God, I forgot about that one yep. as well.
That's the animated one. Yeah, isn't with it? Chris Rock Robbie. as like a blood yeah. cell or yeah, something. Yeah. I don't. Uh, yeah. Uh, my actual number three, however, is Memento, uh, directed by Christopher Nolan, starring Guy Pearce and Carrie Ann Moss. It is the film that is obviously famous for being told backwards, and it is brilliant. I love it. It's a great, you know, sort of mystery slash thriller slash noir. The the backwards conceit it could have been disastrous in just about anybody else's hands. I think you needed <laughs> yeah, a director yeah. like Nolan to pull it off, and there's a reason why no one else has really uh, tried it since then. Um, but it's a great film, and, and if you haven't seen it, you definitely should. Okay, well, my number three, I don't think it's been mentioned yet on the list, uh, is Memento by Christopher <laughs> Nolan. Uh, it's a film about memory. No, it is my number three film, again, like you. We seem to be matching up on the number threes, don't yeah, we? Yeah, something about the number three. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Yeah. But no, it's uh, Guy Pearce is brilliant in it. Uh, Joey Pants is fantastic. Yep. It's uh, yep. really good. And as you say, the backwards, it could have it could have been disastrous, but it works so well. And also, you get to watch it on uh, the Blu-ray or the DVD. There's, there is an option where you can watch it in order. Oh, that's right. That's right. And it's not quite... It still works, obviously, but it's. It, but it doesn't have the... It's not going to grip you because all the answers are given out at the start. And it's just... The way it's done is just stupendous. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a. It must have been a nightmare to edit. I can't even imagine. I think filming it, editing it, all of it must. Even yeah. writing it probably was a nightmare. But God, yeah. But man, yeah. the end result is really spectacular. Yeah. Very good. All right. Well, my number two pick is Mariah Carey's magnum opus, Glitter. I had the same one. Oh no, you're messing with <laughs> it, aren't you? <laughs> Um, not really, as we know by now. Uh, my actual number two pick, however, is A Knight's Tale, starring Heath Ledger and uh, Mark Addy and introducing the world to one Mr. Paul Bettany, also starring Alan Tudyk. And it's just a great, it's such a such a wonderful film. And my, my wife and I both love this movie. It's, it's this action film about a kid who wants to become a knight, but he can't. That doesn't even sound good. I'm not even doing justice explaining it. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. got rock and roll music in it. It's about jousting. And it's... It it's just it definitely is a movie that knows what kind of movie it is. It's a fun, fun movie. It doesn't take itself too seriously, but it takes itself seriously enough. There's a great romance. The, the jousting scenes are exciting and visceral. Yeah. And, you know, at, at the end, you even shed a little tear. Uh, and, and Heath Ledger is just fantastic. And I remember I had seen him before this in 10 Things I Hate About You, which is another one of my favorite movies. But this to me was the movie that made him a star. When I saw this movie, I was like, Heath Ledger is just a movie star through and through. It's just he's so good in it. And uh, it, it's a movie yeah. that, that I just never get tired of watching. It was definitely the film which sort of made everybody pay attention to right. Heath Ledger. Yep. No, it's a great film as well. It didn't make my list, but no, thoroughly enjoyable. And it's it's been a long time since I've seen Actually, I should... Uh, Get that Hannah might enjoy that. Oh, no, really, sure. really enjoyable film, and it's a great supporting cast. Yep, Some, yep, indeed. They're all hilarious and all brilliant at what they do. Really, yeah, good, good film, good pick. Okay, my number two is a film called Spy Game. Ah, very good. Directed by Tony Scott, starring Robert Redford and Brad Pitt, and we did an after the ending for it way back in episode four. Yeah, that was a fun one. That's a, that was a fun movie to revisit. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's a cracking film. Uh, I didn't know anything about it when I saw it. I think I saw it at the pictures. So good. Robert Redford's brilliant. I love the way it's all. The flashbacks work so well. There's a couple of little bits of like uh, Tony Scott kind of directing all the, the graphics or things, which nowadays look a little bit slightly dated, but they're only tiny in their picking bits. But on the whole, it's an absolutely brilliant film. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it is a film that I love. It, it's, it just got eked out on my list. I could only pick 10, and I wanted to include it, but I, I just sort of had to edge it out. But it is a great film. Obviously, we yeah. shared our affection for it back in Episode 4 and had a lot of fun doing the endings for it. So terrific pick. Thank you very much. What have you got for number one? Bring us home. All right, well, well number one, here it is. I know you've been waiting for it. It is 
Freddy Got Fingered. Oh, it's got to be that one, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm a huge Tom Green fan. Uh, not really. <laughs> Isn't everyone? So my number one is kind of an unconventional pick, actually, especially considering the fact that I generally do not like musicals. But my number one film of 2001 is a musical, and it is Moulin Rouge. Oh, yeah. Starring Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor. And this is a movie I went to see it in theaters. I thought it looked cool. And I hated the first 15 minutes of it. I was ready to walk out of the theater. The first 15 <laughs> minutes of the film is very frenetic, and I, it's hard to sit through. So if you've never made it past that, I understand. But once you get past that, it's just magical. You know, taking these songs that, that you grew up with and that you love and turning them into these sort of theatrical versions of them and making them fit into the yeah. story so well. You know, the relationship between, you know, the chemistry between McGregor and Kidman is fantastic. The visuals, I mean, Baz Luhrmann directed it. He did a great job. Visually speaking, it's amazing. Um, I, you know, I really, it even took songs I don't like, like Roxanne by the police and turned it into a song that I love in, in this version of it. And, um, you know, it's, it's a film about truth and beauty, but above all, it's a film about love. And, you know, I'm a sucker for a great romance and it's, it's to me, it's a magical film. It's one of those movies. I get why some people don't like it, mm-hmm. um, but I've seen it many, many times. I have the soundtracks. I have a poster of it in my bedroom and it is just, will always be one of my favorite films. So that's my that's my number one. An excellent and surprising pick, but I I, I quite like the film as well. As you say, it's uh, it's visually sumptuous and it's great re- great reworkings of uh, lots of different pop songs and things. And I didn't I don't think I knew uh, Ewan McGregor could sing. Yeah, yeah, he's until great. I saw that. Yeah. yeah, very good. No, it's a it's a, a good film. It's not not on my list, but uh, fair enough. Yeah, my number one is The Lord of the Rings: The Fellowship of the Ring, which. You've already mentioned. Yeah, good choice. Beautiful looking film. I always loved The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbits. So to see it suddenly be be on the big screen and done so well, uh, it was just amazing. Just blew my mind. And so perfectly cast. Everyone was spot on. Uh, and it just, yeah, just stunning. Well, most people have seen it. You know what it is. So, yeah, that, that's my that's my number one. Very good. I love it. I it's you really can't go wrong with i think lord of the rings as your number one film of the year i mean obviously it was a humongous hit mm-hmm. and many many people really love it so i think you're in good hands there phil thank you very much but that's uh, that's our top 10 films of 2001 all right well those were our top 10 films uh phil how do we do stacked up against the box office i think i know the number one film but take us through take us through the rest of the year okay number 10 was planet of the apes right the tim burton one mm-hmm. number nine jurassic park three mm-hmm Number eight, Ocean's Eleven. Seven was Pearl Harbor. Six, The Mummy Returns. Nothing on our list just yet. No. Five, Rush Hour Two. Oh God. Four, Monsters Inc., which was bubbling around on my list, yeah. but didn't quite. It's make not it. one of my favorite Pixar films, actually. Uh, number three was Shrek. I did better than Monsters Inc. Oh, clearly. Shrek was huge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, number two was Lord of the Rings: The Fellowship of the Ring. Well, finally. I know. And number one was Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Ah. Or for those of you in America, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's right. Stone. I was wrong. I was thinking Lord of the Rings was number one, but it was Harry Potter. So, yeah, so did I. But yeah, Harry Potter. Right. Very good. Which I, I enjoyed the Harry Potter films, but it's not, not in the top ten. I, I, I enjoy them very much, too. And I actually do like the first one, but I think the series really started getting really good around the third one. So well, I'm, sure, I'm sure Harry Potter might pop onto a list at some point in the future. Well, actually, moving down from the top ten downwards, we, none of our films... Uh, where did he show up? Spy Game is the first one we come to, uh, which was number 38. Oh, wow. And Moulin Rouge was 43. Ooh, boy, not a, apparently we like things more than uh, the rest of America. I don't know what that means. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. But there you go. That was 2001. Very cool. 
All right, well, that wraps up our top 10 for this week. If you have different thoughts on on your top 10 films of 2001, feel free to share them with us. We'll tell you how to do that in just a minute. But first, Phil, why don't you tell people what we will be discussing in next week's show? Yes, next week we will be dueling banjos because we will be talking, giving after the endings to Deliverance. Uh, And then we will also be giving after the ending to the very funny... Uh, Galaxy Quest. Yes, indeed. A great film. Yeah, I do like it. And by, by Grabthor's Hammer. Yes, yeah. Is that yeah. Is that what he says? Yeah, yeah. Grabthor's Hammer, yeah. And we will be doing the top 10 of 1962. Should be a jam-packed episode, Phil. And we will be back to our regularly scheduled random mini features. Yes, yes. I'm looking forward to seeing what wackiness we come up with between now and then. <laughs> All right. So, Phil, why don't you tell people how they can get a hold of us? Yes, you can find us on Twitter at after underscore the ending and also on facebook.com backslash after the ending podcast. You can listen to us on iTunes, soundcloud.com backslash after the ending podcast. And we're also on Stitcher. And if you'd like to email us, you can email us directly at afterthending at verizon.net. In fact, we've gotten some emails recently, uh, which we will probably share a couple of those next week. Uh, some fun some fun emails to share. So you can email us there if you would like to. And Phil, where can people find you online? You can find me at liffafilms.com for all your movie news and things like that. And it's on got all social media things on Twitter, Facebook, Google+, LinkedIn, and other places which I've forgotten. Tumblr. Yeah, we're on Tumblr, yeah. All over the place. Yeah, but liftfilms.com. All over the place. Yeah. And where can they find you, Mike? Well, you can swing by wordsoutloud.com and download a bunch of free books that I have uh, written, uh, not about movies, but about other things. You can also go to Amazon and search vampires. by my... That's right, vampires. You can search for my name on Amazon or any other electronic book retailer like Barnes & Noble or Kobo or any of those, and you can pick up my first book for free, and my second book is also out. And you can also like me on Facebook at facebook.com slash official. And I will put in our show notes a link to Chad Michael Collins's page as well. He has an actor page that you can like. You should definitely do that because he's a good actor and a great guy. And so what a lovely chap he, he was, was indeed. I'll say that again. Was so good. definitely go over, swing over there, give him some thumbs ups on Facebook, some likes and support him as well. And once again we would like to say thank you to Chad for coming on the show, hanging out with us and, and being a genuinely awesome guy. Yes, thank you very much Chad. It was brilliant. Well, that's going to wrap us up for now. We really appreciate you guys listening as always. I am Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. The... Hello. What? Yes, what we will be doing... doing there? I was I was flicking through paper. Sounded oh interesting. Goodness. thought you were eating potato <laughs> chips. <laughs> yeah. He's doing his taxes. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, when Josh graduates from high school, having transformed his middle school and high school both into model schools, that's a lot of the word school all at once... Uh, All right, so now it's time to journey back just a few years to the year 2001 for our 100 years of movie, 100 years, apparently 100 years of of being underwater because that sounds like I'm drowning. All right, (laughs) which I am, I guess, a little bit. (laughs) Throw me a rope. I'm drowning here. (laughs) So let's go back in time just a few years to 2001 for our, uh, well, at least if I'm going to screw up, I didn't do it while Chad was hanging out Uh, with us, right? We, we did sound professional, I think. I, I think we we pulled it off. We fooled, yeah. we fooled him. We sounded professional. We held it together for an hour. We did it. <laughs> Let me do my line one more time. Okay. All right. You say one more time. Yeah. yeah, I say one more time. Exactly. <laughs> we all know it could be more than that. And Billy Bob Cyrus, if I'm not mistaken. Wait, Billy and... Bob, Billy Ray Cyrus? 
Billy Ray okay. Cyrus, yeah, Billy Bob Cyrus. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Billy Bob Thornton and Billy Ray Cyrus had a love child? Yeah. What's going on right now? All right. Well, I think that's going to do us for now. So until next week, thank you as always for listening. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And I did it again. Ah, I thought we were going to do it then. I thought I had it. It seemed good. It was like feeling good, you know? Yeah. It felt like it was like, I, I had, yeah, it's going good. And then just... I had a smile just on my face going, <laughs> he's going to do this. <laughs> and then I, then I crushed her dreams. Yeah. <laughs> Are you still listening? <laughs> uh, I'm just going to beat my head against the desk. Okay. We work hard on these quiet moments. <laughs>